are listening to a message by Refuge Community Church. Refuge exists to glorify God by making disciples that shape their communities with the love of Jesus. Hi everybody, my name is Daniel Cooper and I am one of the launch team members here at Refuge Community Church. I'm really excited to be here and let me tell you, I want to be very, very upright and real. I'm nervous. And uh, I'll tell you a little bit more about that in a little bit. But I want to open us up first in a word of prayer. And then we're going to get into a talk today about God's grace. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for this time. We thank you that no matter who we are, no matter where we are in life, we need you. And Lord, we thank you that you are available to us in every step, no matter how we're doing. So Lord, I just thank you so much for this opportunity that I have here to just talk to you about the stuff that you've been teaching me in your word lately. And Lord, to be honest, Like I just shared with everybody else, I am a bit nervous right now. But Lord, you know that. And you know that you're going to make this something good, not because of anything that I'm doing or because of my preparation or anything like that, but because, Lord, you are good. Lord, I just pray that if anyone here is listening today and just knows that they need you. I pray, Lord, that that you would help this time to show all of us a little bit more about what it means to really need you and to love you. And Lord, I pray that you would bless that. I pray that that you would show us how good you are uh, a little bit here and there, but I think in some ways I'm getting ahead of myself. So Lord, I just pray that you would bless this time. I pray that you would make this time right now special for the sake of your glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, yeah. um, I was talking about how I feel a bit nervous. And one of the reasons for that is I just get into this this self-talk mode. Uh, I do it all the time. Ask my wife. uh, I get, like, really, really lost in my own thoughts. And one of the things that I like to do is really just hunker down and think about, you know, if I just do something better than I did the last time, then things are going to be okay. If I just do something different than I I did last time, maybe things will be okay. And when I think about this very sermon, I think about how I'm nervous because I haven't preached in a long time. And... I really want God to be shown in what I'm talking about. And I have these thoughts going around in my head. Maybe if I just prepared a little bit more, things are going to be okay. Maybe if uh, I talk more clearly, make sure that I don't do a lot of ums and ahs. I have to make sure that I've got the right posture. I got to make sure that I am looking in the camera the right way and all these things. And I get so tired and nervous because I'm afraid that I'm going to get in the way of something good that's going to happen today. Guys, today what I'm going to be talking about and what we're going to be looking at is grace. In the section of Lent, 
reflections and preparations. Um, this, this whole series, we've been building up to Easter Sunday, the day that Jesus comes back from the dead, the day, the day that we celebrate so much because that day is the crowning achievement of the gospel message that we look back to and say, because of that, we get to do all these amazing things. We get to feel certain ways. We get to, um, we get to do certain things. That's all like, exciting and everything, but the important thing is that we get to have a relationship with God. And that's something that we really, really need. Whether or not we understand that that is our greatest need, it is. And so what I'm going to be talking about today, simply a reflection on God's grace. And I want us to reflect on what's, what God's grace is to us how he has shown his grace to us, and what God's grace looks like through us. And uh, yeah, there's, there's a part of me that's thinking like, oh man, like as, as a preacher, I don't even have like three points or anything like that. No, the, sub, the subject's really simple, guys. We're going to be looking at God's grace to us and through us. So the passage that we're looking at is Philippians 2, 12 through 18. I'm going to read just the first verse to start off. Therefore, my friends, just as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but also in my more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That is a verse that I found confusing in some ways. But I think to better understand what he's talking about, what Paul is talking about to the church at Philippi back in this letter, is to understand a little bit more about what salvation is. So, to take a huge, big scale look at what our biggest need is, is that God created the world, we know in the beginning of Genesis. And he made us in that world to reflect him, um, to actually show who God is in this world. Long story short, mankind, the first people in the world, they sinned. They broke the relationship with God. They did something that God would not do. And because of that, there was a break in the relationship. Um, I mean, I think all of us can understand how a relationship can be broken or at least distorted because of something that I do. Um, if, uh, if any man lives with a, uh, a woman in his house and leaves the toilet seat up, that relationship is going to be distorted in some ways. Um, but so much more, so much more is this idea that God made us to be in direct, perfect relationship with him in everything. That's how we were designed. We broke that relationship. And so, as it says in Romans, the wages of sin is death. The payment for sin is death. Death, in this case, what I'm talking about, I know that Sean talked about death in, in, uh, in one of the earlier sessions. Death is a separation. When I think about the separation of my life from my body, that's going to be death. My body is not going to be moving around like it does anymore when I die. When we are separated from the source of life, 
that God is, that he's the one who actually made us and gives us the power to live. When we don't have a relationship with him, we're separated, we are dead. And so that's the world that we live in now, is that everybody has done something. Everybody has done something to break that relationship with God. And God, in his goodness and his righteousness, everything that, like, because he made it, he had every right to just destroy us for what we had done. But instead of doing that, what he did was he set sent God, well, he sent his son, who is also God, God the Son, Jesus Christ, who has been around since the very beginning of time, before the beginning of time. Jesus is the one who was making everything. He became one of us. He, he became a human being to live a perfect life, a life that is characterized by relationship with God like none of us ever could. And then he voluntarily gave up his life so that we could have a relationship with God forever. He gave up his rights to that life so that we could trust him in that. And if we do give our, our trust to Jesus, if we ask him to forgive us about the bad things that we have done or will do, then he will save us. First John 4.10 says this, love consists in this, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And when he says atoning sacrifice in this passage, it means that he gave this satisfactory sacrifice. Nothing else would ever need to be paid, to, needed to be paid again. Jesus paid for everything on the cross. When you think about, if you could just think about like in history, the worst person that you could possibly think about. Jesus's payment, because he was absolutely perfect and he, he did everything the right way, when he gave up his life for the sake of everyone, both because he was a human, so he was a perfect human, but also because he was God, he could share this with everyone. He paid that debt so that that horrible person, that one that you're thinking of right now, could go to him and have all their sins washed clean. He did that so that I, knowing full well all of the things that I have done, the things that I have sinned against God and also I've just sinned against other people as well, those things could be washed away and I could be in God's presence because I'm trusting Jesus and he chooses to forgive everything that I have ever done. And so as we're going to be talking about in, uh, in the coming weeks as well, especially on Easter, Jesus also rises from the dead. So that after all this had gone down, he, goes, he actually rises up as a human being and also God still and then eventually goes back up into heaven, and that's where he is right now. And we have a passageway. We have a way to know God because of all the work that Jesus had done. 
I'm jumping around a little bit. I'm, I'm focusing on different little points. This is the thing that I really want to focus on is that the work that Jesus did on the cross, there's nothing else that we need to do. There's nothing else that we need to earn. In fact, if there was something else that we could do, then the cross wouldn't even be worthwhile. Like, what's the point if we still need to do something? But he did it because that was the one way to get us back into a right relationship with God. But also, God doesn't, he, he hasn't thrown that into everybody. He invites people to ask for forgiveness and to be saved. He's not going to make you. So if you want to continue to uh, live life apart from him, that's your choice. But he has made it in, in such a way so that literally the only thing that we have to do to accept and know God and to get back into a right relationship with him is to ask Jesus to save us. Ephesians 2 8 and 9 says that you are saved by grace through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is God's gift. Not from works, so that no one can boast. When, uh, when this passage is talking about grace and gift, that's what grace is. It's a gift that we did not deserve in any way, shape, or form. Like, God is giving us a gift just because he wants to give us a gift. It's not because I have gotten onto Santa's nice list that I can show that I am good enough to get a present. Jesus gives this present to literally everyone and anyone who wants to receive it can get it. John 1, 12 and 13 says, but to all who did receive him, to them he gave the right to be children of God, to those who believe in his name, who are born not of natural descent or of the will of the flesh or the will of man, but of God. When I'm talking about here, guys, this first section about God's grace to us is that it was a gift that he chose to give us and it's a, it's a choice that no matter what we tried to do to earn it, we never could because it's already been paid for. There's nothing else to pay. Through faith in Jesus, we get to enter into God's family, also called the church, and enjoy your relationship with him forever. Now we come to the passage of today. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. Paul was writing to the family of God, the church in the city of Philippi. He was in prison at the time. He didn't know if he was going to actually be able to get out this time. It's very possible he could have died in prison. And so that all of the words that he is saying to this church that he loves very dearly is in that kind of mindset of, this might be the last thing you hear from me. These are significant words. And so what does he do? What, he wants to make sure that, he, that these people hear what they need to hear, lasting words that can take them beyond the time that he was teaching them. And he says, Therefore, my friends, in verse 12, just as I have always obeyed, 
or so just as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but even more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And this is where my heart gets a little bit twisted, like it hurts a little bit, because like I just have been talking about this whole section here about how Jesus has done everything, that there's nothing more that we can do. There is nothing more that we need to do. And yet it, right here, Paul is telling the church in Philippi, you need to do something. And part of the reason why that really resonates with me is when I was a kid, I actually accept Jesus as my savior, when I was four years old, I knew that there was, my, my mom helped me to understand this, that, that there was sin that I had done, that there was nothing I could do to save myself, but if I went to Jesus and asked him to save me, he would, and I know that when I was four years old, he saved me. That's how simple of a message it is. I gave my life to him that night. But after a while, I don't even know exactly when it was, maybe it was the next day, I started to feel like, all right, now that I've done that, I need to prove that I'm still good enough for this, that I deserve, that God didn't waste this gift of salvation on me, but that I wanna make sure that I'm going to be the best rule follower that I could ever be, I'm going to be the nicest person that I could ever be, I'm going to kill not murder. <laughs> I'm going to kill it when it comes to salvation. And I don't think that all of us here, I mean, maybe you know Jesus as your savior, maybe you don't, but I think that all of us can relate to that idea of feeling like I need to make something of my life. I need to prove that why I'm here is worthwhile. So I want to go back and read this passage within its full context to get a better idea of what Paul is talking about here. I'm actually going to go back before this verse, back to verse 5. And he asks them to, in verse 5, adopt the same attitude as of Christ Jesus. Attitude, I underlined, that word is very important who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God to be something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, so now not only in my presence but even more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is working in you, both to will and to work according to his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling and arguing, so that you may be blameless and pure, children of God who are faultless in a crooked and, perverse and perverted generation, among whom you shine like stars in the world. 
by holding firm to the word of life. So yeah, in the context of what he's talking about here, Paul is asking the church, he's, he's telling them, this is what you need to do. He's telling the church in Philippi, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Do everything without grumbling and arguing. Um, and then he talks about how they, the, these people shine like stars in the world. And I, with all these different things in my mind, I, I can think to myself and say, well, I, I can't do those things, though. I can't live that life. Except for the fact that Paul also says in verse 14, for it is God who is at working in you, both to will and to work according to his good purpose. How do we shine like stars in the world? Verse 16, by holding firm to the word of life. So basically what he's talking about here is that God who did that work on the cross and who forgave you, he wants to work in you and he wants to do some amazing things in you and he's going to make that work something special. Dallas Willard, a theologian that Josh really wanted me to quote today because of this, this subject, I, I definitely wanted to do it too. Um, he says this about grace, God's gift to us. Grace is not opposed to effort. It is opposed to earning. Earning is an attitude. Effort is an action. So, when Paul is talking to the church in Philippi, telling them to work out their own salvation with fear and trembling, uh, a way that I would personally paraphrase that would be live out the salvation from sin and death that you have received in Jesus, carefully obeying God. And he's not saying this because this is something that if you do not do this well enough, you're going to lose this. Because once again, guys, we can't earn it. And in the same way that we can't earn it, we can't lose it. But God has given us the opportunity to participate with the work that he is doing. That we get to share in the work that he is doing and that he died so that the world would be saved and that every knee would bow and every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He came to save the world. And he wants to share that work with us in sharing how good he is. So one special note that I want to mention about this verse too is that it's the word your in that, that Paul uses in this passage is in the original Greek, it's plural. A clearer translation uh, would be to be something like you all or the good old Texan y'all. Um, I genuinely, my favorite translation of this passage would be to work out y'all's own salvation with fear and trembling. I like it because that's talking about our own. It's not just about you, but actually the Christian life is not meant to be lived as a bunch of individuals trying their best to grow in obedience for love for, of God and for each other, but the burden of my walk with Jesus is to be shared with my wife, Jenna, 
with my pastor Josh and Pastor Sean, both of my friend Jermaine and a lot of other friends that are here in this church and in other churches. We get to be co-heirs and co-laborers in this work that Jesus is doing in us. We get to see how we get to pull him back. We get to pull each other back to understanding that Jesus is everything that we need. So a simple illustration of this is that like when I was about nine years old, there was this counselor that I knew. Uh, I knew him because he was my counselor uh, for one week and he went by the name Oreo. And why did they call him Oreo? Because he walked around with a little package of Oreos everywhere that he went. Uh, I found out another week that, um, that I was not a camper. He went by the name Skittles for obvious reasons. This guy was a goofball. Um, he, he was a lot of fun. Uh, there was one time that I saw him, uh, he was dressed up in like aviator sunglasses and he had like a leather vest and he had a spiked dog collar on and he chose to eat all of his meals out of a food bowl. Sorry, a food bowl, a dog bowl, which also carries food. Um, all that's good. I guess, um, I, think, I think his name's Travis, I maybe. That stuff was interesting, it made an impression on me, but at the same time, the thing that made the most impression to me as a nine-year-old kid is that this guy loved Jesus. This guy was probably 18, 19, a young guy, but he could show me not because he was a teacher, like formally trained or anything like that, but that he had a relationship with Jesus and he genuinely wanted me, a little kid that he did not know the day before, to know that Jesus loves me. And that because I had Jesus in me, he wants to love others through me and bring others to that relationship with Jesus. And so this guy and the other counselors all around, they had that same goal. They wanted to see Jesus glorified and they were doing it with a bunch of little kids. Um, and a lot of those kids have been impacted in such a way that like for me personally, I wanted to go to that Bible school that he went to, that, that those counselors went to, and that's what I did. And that's why I learned where a lot of the, the, this stuff, when I really learned about it for the first time, is that Jesus really did pay it all and that he is our life as well. Um, Paul says in Galatians that it's, <laughs> that I had been crucified with Christ. He talks about the old life, the old self of who he was, but it, it had gone away. But the life that I live now in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. This phrase again, that I live through the life that God is giving me. That's the attitude 
that we can adopt as Christians. And so another part of this, when he says in, in verse 14, do everything without grumbling and arguing so that you may be blameless and pure children of God who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation, he's not just arguing to say, you guys need to stop arguing so you can have a better example so that people can look at you and say, those people are holy. But what he's saying is, adopt that attitude that Christ had, that he humbled himself, became a human, and he was God, and he had every right to just be worshipped, and, and, but he, he gave all that up for us. And so we can also give up our rights, the things that we want to argue, the grudges that we're holding against other people, so that God can help us to shine and, and see something that, that that light that I saw in Travis was not because he was so cool and amazing, although, I mean, I was impressionable. I was a little kid. I'm sure that was some of that. But the big thing that resonates with me, even now, triple that age, yeah, more than that, oh my goodness, is that he loved Jesus and he was different than everybody else. For it is God who is working in you both to will and to work according to his good pleasure. The good I gained from those counselors was God working in them for his goals. They got to participate, but God gets the credit. Then in this last section here too, Paul then talks a little bit about himself. He says, then I can boast in the day of Christ that I didn't run or labor for nothing. But even if I'm poured out as a drink offering for the sacrificial, sacrificial service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you in the same way that you should also be glad and rejoice with me. Now, with Paul, after all that, he then says, then I can boast in the day of Christ that I didn't run or labor for nothing when he sees these people living out this life that Christ is living in them. And although this, this can sound really arrogant, in the context of what he's been talking about, you can see that it's not because he wants to show off how good of a teacher he is. And it's not how he could mentor a church of really well-behaved philanthropists. He wasn't making like a special rotary club or something like that where he's doing a lot of good things in the uh, society just for the sake of doing good. He wanted to see the church in Philippi working as a unit, helping each other and the people close to them cling to Jesus in every single thing as if their lives depended on it. A former Bible teacher of mine, Jerry Benjamin, what the guy's name was, he used to introduce himself as a signpost to every group of people he'd speak to. I, I heard it a bunch of different times because I heard him speak in a bunch of different places. And he would say that when you look at a signpost, you do not do so to admire how well built the signpost is. You don't care about the color that it's painted or the, the detail of calligraphy that it was written on it. You don't even care about the location it is, what it's made out of. You look at a signpost because it directs you where you need to go, where you want to go. The mission of every Bible teacher is Jesus. 
and pointing to Jesus because he's the only way to know the life that we're designed to have. The signpost should not point back to you. It most certainly not point at itself. That doesn't make any sense. That teacher, if that teacher is pointing anywhere other than reliance and devotion to Jesus, it is a bad signpost. And so guys, we as a church also, we should be careful about language that says stuff like, shouldn't we do this better? Shouldn't we do that better? I know that if we just do this a bit better, then, then a whole lot's going to change. Yes, we should, <laughs> we should look at our lives and take a moral inventory and see where we are lacking so that we can accept the grace that God is giving us. That means to confess. But we're not earning this life. We receive it. Have that attitude. That attitude of the gospel that says, Jesus, you've done everything. Thank you. And I will also say that, just as a little side note too, like with Paul being poured out as a drink offering in here, he's essentially giving his life so that Jesus is better known. Essentially following the same idea of what I've just been talking about. Paul doesn't want attention. Oh, look at me, I'm in prison. Except to divert it back to Jesus. The one who deserves it. And he invites the church in Philippi to join him in that. So all of this, I can think of a couple of different ways that we can think about <laughs> what this means, especially in light of what Easter is coming up to be. One way that we can apply what we've been talking about is confess your sin. So even though that we can have our, all of our sins washed away by asking Jesus to save us, we still do bad things. It's a great reminder that we are inadequate in ourselves. And we can go to God first and foremost with all those things. We need to do that. If you have never accepted Jesus as your savior, I invite you to do so. You can do it right now if you want. Or you, you can... You can do it another time as well, but I do definitely say like this is a, a something that it's a big decision, but it's a, an incredibly important decision. You're not always going to have the opportunity to make that decision. This is while you're here on earth. You can give your life to Christ. But not only that, you can also talk to other people about that too. If you have questions about what this looks like, uh, if you go to the connection page, uh, there should be a link down in the description. Um, I feel like a YouTuber for the first time in my life. Also, like and subscribe. Um, you can go down there and you can just make a note that you want to talk to somebody in the church. One of the pastors can help you. If you want to talk to me about this, then write, I'd like to talk to Daniel about this and we'll make a way to, to make that happen. I'd love to talk to you about what it means to trust in Jesus. But also for us who have accepted Jesus already, we need to confess our sins to Jesus. 
recognize that there's something in my life that I've been holding on to, something that I'm saying, if I can just have this, if I can just prove myself here, then I'm gonna be good enough. And recognize that, guys, God is the one who is good enough. Jesus is the one who is good enough, the one. And he is giving that gift freely to us to say that it doesn't matter what you've done, you can live knowing that you're forgiven and that you're completely loved and that there's nothing more that you need to do. Something else that we can do as well is confess, like I was talking about, in community. Talk to your friends. Uh, if, you have, if, if you're in a community group, great. Talk to them about stuff that you're struggling with. Make sure that they're a trusted friend so that they can point you back to Jesus and show him who he is. And you can do the same for them too. We need that. Also, just because it was in this passage and it's, it's also very important, we need to be aware of complaining and grumbling. When we're doing this, we're trying to, it's, it's a very outward, very specific way of saying, I've got some sort of injustice. I've got something that has happened to me that needs to be fixed. And to a certain degree, absolutely, there's a lot of injustice in the world and we need to fight for that, but also recognize, is that thing that I'm trying to hold for myself keeping me from needing Jesus? Because like I've just been talking about, he's the biggest need that we have. And all this, guys, um, thank you for sharing this with me. More than anything else, this has been a great opportunity for me to just, even in studying this, just to be reminded of like, yeah, I can think about all the, the good things that I can try to do. And there are a lot of good things that I do try to do. And there are a lot of good things that I do as well. But those good things are because of the life that Jesus is living in me. And any time that somebody can say, wow, Daniel, you're somebody special, I can say, well, that's great because this is who Jesus has made me to be. I think you guys are also really special too. And thank you so much. And I, 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 I don't mean that in like a, some corny way, like I genuinely believe that everybody watching this is the most incredibly special person. I don't, I don't even really uh, understand it as much as I ever could, and yet God knows that way better than I ever could, and he sees you all as incredibly special, and he loves you incredibly much, and he wants to have that kind of relationship with you. Anyway, guys, let's pray. Dear Lord, we just thank you so much for this time. I thank you so much for this opportunity just to, to be a signpost, to look to you, say, Jesus, you're really cool. You're really good. Thank you so much, Lord, for the reminders that when I'm not looking to you, I'm missing out. Thank you for the reminders that when I am looking to you, I, I, get, I get excited and I, I feel joy and happiness. And yet, Lord, even in all of that, thank you so much for the times that I feel like I am the worst human being on the earth. And yet at the same time, you use people in my life to help pull me out of that and show me that I'm not, that I'm loved and that I'm worthy because of everything that you have done and everything that you're doing in my life right now. Lord, I pray that for everyone here who's listening to this, that they would understand that you love them more than they could ever know. 
There's nothing that we could do to, to make you love us more. Help us to lean into you. Help us to share you with each other. Just pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, guys. Thank you for listening. We hope this message encourages you and strengthens your faith.